Okay, praises be to our loving Father that we are able to gather once again to study His words and His commandments. Now, in our episode for today, it's we're going to look at the genealogy of our king, Yahusha, and we will notice certain women mentioned in this genealogy. And so what is the significance of the inclusion of these certain women in the story of redemption for mankind? Now, to get started, let's look at the question uh, in which we based our topic for today. And this is the following question submitted by one of our viewers. Good morning, Brother John. Uh, who were the women in Yahushua's genealogy and what can we learn from their stories? Number two, is it true that Yahushua first confessed that he is the Messiah to an adulterous uh, Samaritan woman and not to the apostles and first appeared to Mary Magdalene when he rose from the dead and she's a demon-possessed woman? Indeed, these are very intriguing questions and it kind of highlights uh, our King Yahushua's compassion and how he chooses to reveal certain things uh, to the people of Yahuwah. So let's go, be, go ahead and begin and look at the genealogy of our King Yahushua, which is recorded in the book of Matthew chapter 1, 1 down to 6. This is not the complete genealogy, but we'll look at the portion of it here in Matthew 1, 1 to 6. This is a record of the ancestors, ancestors of Yahushua, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob, Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab, Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse, Jesse was the father of King David, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. And so in this genealogy listed by Matthew, it begins by calling the Messiah a descendant of David and of Abraham. And so he goes on to list the ancestors of our King Yahusha, the Messiah, by listing Abraham. So we go all the way to the days of Abraham. And from there, we discover certain women included in the genealogy. We boldface the names of these women. And so we find first Tamar, and then Rahab, and then Ruth, and then Bathsheba. And so we're going to go take a look at the stories behind the women in the genealogy of our king, Yahushua. And so let's begin with uh, Tamar. Bible says Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now this is very interesting because it involves Judah. We know Judah was one of the sons of Jacob. He had 12 sons, right? And Judah was one of them. And we know that Yahushua came from the line of Jacob. This is why he is called the Lion of Judah. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. So Judah had a wife. The wife's name was Shua. And together, their union brought forth three sons. The sons' name were Ur, Onan, and Shelah. Now, when Er came uh, to age, there was now a desire for him to get married. And so in Genesis 38, verse 6, who does he get married to? In the course of time, Judah arranged for his firstborn son, Er, to marry a young woman named Tamar. And so Judah arranges for 
a marriage, and the marriage is between his firstborn son, Ur, who is to be married to Tamar. And so what we have, Tamar is married to Ur, but in the course of time, verse 6, Judah, or verses 7 to 8, but Ur was a wicked man in Yahuwah's sight, so Yahuwah took his life. Then Judah said to Ur's brother, Onan, go and marry Tamar, as our law requires of the brother of a man who has died. You must produce an heir for your brother. And so what happened was, after the marriage between Ur and Tamar, Yahuwah decides to kill Ur because he was a wicked man. So Yahuwah takes his life. And so there are two sons left uh, from Judah. And Judah decides to tell Onan, you have to go marry now uh, Tamar because there's a law, a commandment of Yahuwah concerning Leverett marriage. And this is recorded in Deuteronomy 25 verse 5. If two brothers are living together, on the same property, and one of them dies without a son, his widow may not be married to anyone from outside the family. Instead, her husband's brother should marry her and have intercourse with her to fulfill the duties of a brother-in-law. So according to the law of Yahuwah, which is to protect the needs of the widow, the Bible says if there are two brothers, one of them dies, and before he dies, he's married to a person, it is the obligation of the brother who is still alive to marry the widow. And so this is what um, Judah instructed Onan to do. Your brother Ur died. It is your responsibility uh, to marry Tamar and produce offspring in your union. And so this was instructed by Judah in accordance with the law of Yahuwah. However, Onan, although he did become married to um, Tamar, there was something he refused to do. What was that? Let's read Genesis 38, 9 to 10. But Onan was not willing to have a child uh, who would not be his own heir. But Yahuwah considered it evil for Onan to deny a child to his dead brother. So Yahuwah took Onan's life too. How sad for Judah. First, he loses his son Ur. Well, that's because of his wickedness. And according to the Holy Scriptures, Onan was also considered evil by Yahuwah because he refuses to obey the commandment of Yahuwah concerning leveret marriage. He was not willing to give offspring to Tamar. And so in the eyes of Yahuwah, this was depriving the widow of her rights. And when Yahuwah sees that a widow's rights is not being provided for, he is very sensitive to that for some reason. Yahuwah wants to take care of the weak, the widows, the orphans. This is why in the book of James, true religion is when you take care of the needs of the orphans and the widow. Here, Onan did not really care about the plight of Tamar, who is a widow. And so in the eyes of Yahuwah, this is evil. So much so that Yahuwah took his life. And so when Judah loses two of his sons, he's thinking about his only son left, who is Shalah. And so what am I going to do? So what does Judah decide to do? Genesis 38, 11. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, go back to your parents' home and remain a widow 
until my son, Shalah, is old enough to marry you. And so Judah uh, tells Tamar, go back to your hometown. And when Shalah is old enough, you are going to marry him. And so this was a promise of marriage. And so basically Shalah uh, was, uh, Tamar was betrothed to Shalah. And so they were to wed. And so Tamar, going back to her hometown, of course, she cannot entertain any longer any suitors because she was committed. She was betrothed to Shalah. And so her commitment was to Shalah, according to the promise of Judah. However, we can also see, we can also see by the insight given to us by scripture, but Judah didn't really intend to do this because he was afraid Shalah would also die like his two brothers. So Tamar went back to live in her father's home. And so Judah, although he promised Tamar, you're going to marry my son, Shalah, when he is old enough, it was not his intention to carry out what he promised. His hope was Tamar would just get older and older and older and eventually die and forget all about uh, Shalah. And so that was the plan of Judah. And so because Er and Onan, they both perish because of their sins. The Bible says Tamar is now betrothed to Shalah. But in the meantime, waiting for Shalah to grow up and become a man of age, Tamar had to go back to his home, to, uh, to her home, to her parents' home and wait. And so what happens after the passage of several years? Genesis uh, 38, 12 to 15, uh, some years later, Judah's wife died. After the time of mourning was over, Judah and his friend Hirah, the Adolamite, went up to Timnah to supervise the shearing of his sheep. Someone told Tamar, look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. Tamar was aware that Shelah had grown up, but no arrangements had been made for her to come and marry him. So she changed out of her widow's clothing and covered herself with a veil to disguise herself. Then she sat beside the road at the entrance to the village of Enaim, which is on the road to Timnah. Judah noticed her and thought she was a prostitute since she had covered her face. So after a passage of several years, here's Tamar waiting and waiting and waiting because after all, she was betrothed to Shelah. She was waiting for her to get grown up and Judah, Judah to give her to him. However, someone tells Tamar and reminds her that Shalah has already grown up. It doesn't seem like there's any intention for Judah to keep his promise, because if it were so, then Judah should have already approached her and told her, it's time for you to get married to my son, Shalah. But this is not, this did not happen. And so what does Tamar do she begins to scheme she begins to plan to kind of force something into motion what does she decide to do remove her widow's clothes and put on a disguise she disguised herself as a prostitute because she knew well judah being a man the wife already dead right she's he is now a widower and so she planned something. She was thinking or scheming of something concerning Judah. And what was that? Well, disguised as a prostitute, what happened next? 
28, uh, 24 to 26, about three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has acted like a prostitute. Now, because of this, she's pregnant. Bring her out and let her be burned, Judah demanded. But as they were taking her out to kill her, she sent this message to her father-in-law. The man who owns these things made, made me pregnant. Look closely. Whose seal and cord was walking uh, and walking stick are these? Judah recognized, recognized them immediately and said, she is more righteous than I am because I didn't arrange for her to marry my son, Shalah. And Judah never slept with Tamar again. So what eventually happened after Tamar disguised herself as a prostitute, she was able to uh, sleep with Judah and one night stand produced an off or produced offspring, actually. It got her pregnant. And so when Judah hears news that Tamar is pregnant because of the fact that she was betrothed to her son, this was grounds for her to be put to death because this would mean it was the equivalent of adultery. And so the Bible says Judah was asking, bring her out and let her be burned. But in the process of getting Tamar to be punished, she then tells the people, whoever owns the seal, the cord, the walking stick is the one who caused me to become pregnant. Well, lo and behold, who was the owner? It was Judah. Judah was the one who impregnated Tamar. And so the babies inside of Tamar belong to her father-in-law, Judah. Can you imagine this kind of affair taking place in the lives of the people of God? But this is exactly what the Bible is telling us. The brokenness of humanity, the scheming, the deception. This is the problem of humanity, and it's clearly being played out here in the life of Judah, Tamar, and his sons. And so what happens eventually? When the time came for Tamar to give birth, it was discovered that she was carrying twins. While she was in labor, one of the babies reached out his hand. The midwife grabbed it and tied a scarlet string around the child's wrist, announcing this one came out first. But then he pulled back his hand and out came his brother. What? The midwife explained, how did you break out first? So he was named Perez and the baby with the scarlet string on his wrist was born and he was named Zerah. That's a very unusual way for the twins to come out of the womb. And so there were twins who come out, Perez and Zerah. Zerah was supposed to come out first. That's why they put a scarlet, a scarlet string uh, around his wrist. But Perez, for some reason, kind of yanked them out, I think. And then out, out comes Perez first. So you got Perez and Zerah. Now, what is the significance of the scarlet string? You tell me. I don't know yet. Um, perhaps there's a, a deeper meaning behind the scarlet thread because we will find out later scarlet thread is involved in one of the uh, one of the um, stories of these women in the genealogy of our king Yahusha. And so what we have because Tamar disguises herself and sleeps with Judah for one night, well that results in two babies, two people Perez and Zerah who are included in the genealogy of our king Yahusha. So what we find in the first uh, story of the women in our king's genealogy, Tamar 
and we know that she had a difficult time. She lost two sons. I mean, she lost two husbands, right? Deceived by Judah. And she eventually schemed by pretending to be a prostitute. Not exactly model people of God, right? We can see again the brokenness, the sins, the scandals, the deceit, and the scheming amongst the people of Yahuwah. Welcome to the human race, human, human beings, people. We are prone to committing sin. Now let's go next to uh, the next woman in the genealogy who happens to be Rahab. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Now who was Rahab? Now let's go to the day when Joshua goes to Canaan to, to conquer and to retrieve the promised land to give it to the people of Israel. In Joshua chapter 2 and the verses 1, then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. And so Tamar, she pretended to be a prostitute. Here we have Rahab, who is actually a prostitute. Not only is she a prostitute, she's a Canaanite. And when we look at her story, she does something out of faith, which brings her in favor to our father, Yahuwah. And so here, Joshua uh, sends out spies. They go to the promised land. And the two men, Joshua, uh, and then they meet a prostitute by the name of Rahab, Joshua 2, 2 to 3, but someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. So the king of Jericho hears about what's happening, that the people of Israel sent spies because they're planning to conquer Jericho because they were standing in the way of the promised land. They wanted to get the land as promised by Yahuwah. And so because of this threat against the kingdom of Jericho, he, he, because of intel that was provided him, he knows that there were spies in the prostitute's house. Prostitute is Rahab. So they send some people to Rahab. But what did she do with the men? Joshua 2, 47, Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath the bundles of flax she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road, leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. And so when the king's men went to Rahab, demanding that she release the men who were sent out to spy against Jericho, well, Rahab said, well, they're no longer here. They went out already. But in actuality, she hid the two men, right? And so there are those who study the Holy Bible, and they make a point concerning the lie that Rahab committed because she lied, right? The king's men asked, were the men here? And Rahab said, no, they already left. And so that was a lie. And so does this endorse lying? No, it does not. 
The whole point of the book of Joshua here is not about the lie, but about the faith of Rahab, because we're not saying Rahab is a perfect person. After all, she's a Canaanite, right? She is a prostitute. Of course, she probably is capable of lying. The whole point, the emphasis is not about the lying. It's not about the sin, but the faith that is able to cover sin. Rahab, because of her faith, she decides that she will hide these two men, two spies. What caused her to decide to do that? Why do we say she has faith? Let's read the book of Joshua 2, 8 to 11. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know Yahuwah has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how Yahuwah made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For Yahuwah, your God, is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. What made Rahab decide to hide and protect the spies of Israel? Because she believed, she had faith that the God of Israel, Yahuwah is his name, is the true Allahim. He is the supreme Allahim of the heavens and of the earth. This was her faith. Because of her faith, she was in, she wanted to work with, not against, the people sent by Yahuwah Abba. And so what did she request? Out of faith to Joshua. Joshua 2, uh, 2 12 to 14. Now uh, swear to me by Yahuwah that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all their families. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agree. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when Yahuwah gives us the land. And so what did Rahab, uh, what did she request? Uh, from the people of Israel. She requested that when the conquest of Jericho is over, that she and her family would be spared, that she will be given an opportunity to join them in worship of Yahuwah. And so what did the men tell her? Joshua 2, 17 to 18, before they left, the men told her, we will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down and all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. And so what did uh, the men of Israel tell Rahab? Well, they said to her, we guarantee you, you're going to be safe, but you have to follow these instructions. Number one, you have to leave a scarlet rope hanging from the window. Again, we have the symbolism of the scarlet rope. 
remember in the birth of one of the twins of Tamar, right? There was a scarlet thread. Now we have a scarlet rope, the scarlet worm that we studied last week. It represents forgiveness. It represents redemption. And so what we find in the story of the genealogy of our King Yahusha are snippets and glimpses of the brokenness of humanity and how this scarlet thread, this scarlet rope, represented by the redemptive blood of our King Yahusha, is going to fix the brokenness and bring about wholeness. And there's a lot of symbolism at play, and it's fantastic when we are able to uncover these details that point forward to Yahusha and his work of redemption. And so when that scarlet thread is seen from the window, I don't know if this reminds you of something. Remember when Israel came out of Egypt? Before they, were, they could come out of Egypt, what did Yahuwah do? He sent the 10th plague, which is to destroy the, the firstborn sons. But when these, the death angel would pass throughout Egypt, it would pass over the houses who, which had a smear of lamb's blood, right? And again, this is all tied to the redemptive work of our King Yahusha. Those who were inside the house, they were protected. Here, the Bible says those who were inside the house, if you want your relatives to be protected, they must be inside the house, and the window must leave a hanging rope, which is scarlet. And so this tells us the work of redemption in advance. You see, the reason why all of this is happening is because of what Yahuwah said about 400 years ago in Genesis 15, 15 to 21. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. You want to pause it for a while. This is Yahuwah speaking to his friend. What's his friend's name? Who is his friend of Yahuwah? To whom he's speaking to? Who is that? Who is it, sister? Yeah, Abraham. And so Yahuwah speaking to Abraham. This is like hundreds of years ago. In the fourth generation, uh, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot where the blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces, on that day, Yahuwah made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt, the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Canaanites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Yergeshites, and Jebusites. And so Yahuwah makes a promise to Abraham. And in the promise that he makes to Abram or Abraham, he says he's going to give him all that land. And in and the land that is presently occupied by the Hittites, Perizzites, Amorites, Canaanites, right? And so before Yahuwah can remove them, Yahuwah is waiting for their sins to reach its full measure. Apparently, Yahuwah being a long-suffering Allahim, although we deserve to be punished because of our sins, I guess for many people, there is a point that Yahuwah waits for before he enacts judgment. In this case, the Bible says in the fourth generation, 
that's when the sins of the people living in the land of Canaan would reach its full measure. And at that point, Yahuwah will declare his judgment, which is to destroy completely all the inhabitants of the land because they were given opportunity to repent. But Yahuwah waited until the full measure 400 years later. So when we think about the situation of Rahab and her family, it's pretty grim. Yahuwah has declared judgment. So Rahab was not only a prostitute, right? She was also a Canaanite. In other words, judgment was already made against her and her family. They were to be destroyed. This was the judgment of Yahuwah. However, because of what Rahab did, Yahuwah did not hold this against her. What did Yahuwah see in Rahab, which is why even though Rahab was already subject to Yahuwah's judgment, Yahuwah says she will be spared. In the book of Hebrews 11.31, it was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Brethren, let us really understand. Let us take the time now to really grasp the message here of the book of Hebrews. It's telling us all about faith. If you have time tonight, brothers and sisters, read the entirety of the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Just chapter 11. Because chapter 11 tells us about the power of faith. Because faith is so powerful. It has the power even to undo the judgment that Yahuwah has decreed, right? Because Yahuwah decreed judgment against Rahab, against her family, against her people. They were to perish and to die. But because she saw faith in her, that faith was so powerful, that faith was so strong. Yahuwah is pleased with faith so much so. Rahab and her family, they were spared. Not only that, they were included in the genealogy of our king, Yahusha. Never underestimate the power of belief. Never underestimate the power of faith. She believed Yahuwah is the supreme God of heaven and earth. And because of what she did, faith with action. Because of what she did out of faith, Yahuwah spared her and her family. So when we look at the women in the genealogy of our king Yahusha, we have Tamar. Some say Tamar could have been Canaanite, but we don't know for sure. We have Rahab, who was a Canaanite prostitute, who was already subject to judgment. And so from Tamar to Rahab, what we can see in the lives of these women, it's pretty sad, right? I mean, we find a lot of imperfections, but also a lot of reality. Because when we look at ourselves today, there's really not that much difference. And so we can relate to the experiences of these women. So Tamar, Rahab, next we go and we find Ruth. Now we are already familiar with Ruth, but we'll go back and kind of and remind ourselves of the story of Ruth. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Now who was Ruth in Ruth 1, 6 to 9? Then Naomi heard Moab of Jehuah had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, 
Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes and may Yahuwah reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May Yahuwah bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye and they all broke down and wept. Now what we read to you there was a beautiful scene that set up one of the greatest expressions of conviction and loyalty in the Holy Bible, which was Ruth's statement. But before that, what, before that happened, here's the situation. And so we have Naomi who was married to Elimelech and they were in Bethlehem in Judah, but there was a famine and they were forced to move to Moab because there was a famine in Israel. They go to Moab and they had two sons. The two, the two sons married Moabites, but after they got married, uh, we know Elimelech died, and so Naomi becomes a widow. And then her two sons died, and so the daughters-in-law also become widows, one of which was Ruth. And so after a while, Naomi hears that Yahuwah is again blessing the land of Judah, Bethlehem. And so she decides she's going to go back to Bethlehem. She's going to go back to Israel. And before she does that, she speaks to her daughters-in-law and says, I want you to stay here. You have been so kind to me. You don't have to go back with me back to Judah because after all, you are from Moab. And I'm going to Israel. Israel and Moab, they don't go together. They're enemies. And so what Naomi is telling uh Ruth to do is just stay here, get married again, find security in another marriage, because it would not make sense for you, a widow, to go all the way to Israel, and you are a foreigner, and you are a Moabite. What made this especially difficult was the fact there was a law concerning Moabites. In Deuteronomy 30, 30 19, and 20, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love Yahuwah your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, that you may dwell in the land of Yahuwah, uh, swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give to them. Now, what we read to you there is Yahuwah's command. And one of the commands of Yahuwah is that the Moabites would not be allowed to become an Israelite or would not be allowed to participate in the worship of the Israelites. This is a strict command of Yahuwah that would not be broken for generations to come. And so if Ruth, who is a widow, is going to go to, with Naomi to Israel, she's going to be an outcast. She's going to be rejected by the people because Yahuwah says Moabites cannot participate in worship of Yahuwah. And so it's an obvious choice for Ruth, right? She, she would just stay in Moab and find someone to marry. But look at what uh, happened next. Uh, and again, they wept together and Oprah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. Orpha, thinking logically, you know, Naomi, what Naomi says makes sense. This is, Orpah, by the way, is the other sister, 
daughter-in-law, she decides, okay, it makes sense. It's common sense that I stay here in Moab, marry a Moabite because I'm a Moabite. If I go to Israel, there's no life for me there. But look at what uh, Ruth decides to do. She clings to Naomi. Yes, Orpha wants to stay, but Ruth wants to go with Naomi. Why? In her reply, but Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May Yahuwah punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. And so according to Holy Scriptures, what Ruth decided to do was, even if it meant going to a strange land with a different worship, she was willing because of her faith to worship the true God, even though, even though she knew. Deuteronomy 23, no Ammonite or Moabite of any of his descendants may enter the assembly of Yahuwah, even down to the 10th generation. So Yahuwah has already excluded Moabites from the assembly of Yahuwah. Yet despite this, Ruth says, I'm going to go and I'm going to worship your God. Even if God does not accept me, I'm going to worship Yahuwah anyways. Do you know what that shows? It shows a lot of faith. This is very similar, but even, I believe, even, uh, an even more dramatic expression of faith. Because when Abraham was in Chaldea, he was a pagan, of course. When he was there, Yahuwah calls him. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to them, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in Yahuwah and he accounted it to him for righteousness. We all know about the faith of Abraham and that faith of Abraham was first expressed when he left his homeland to go to a place he doesn't even know about. Isn't this the same thing that uh, Ruth was able to do? Abraham went to a strange place he had no idea about. Ruth will go to a strange place she doesn't know anything about except the fact she would be an outcast there. But she decides to go anyway. And so this is an expression of her faith. Despite the long trek, despite the danger involved walking or journeying back to Bethlehem, she did it nonetheless. And when she was able to do what she intended to do, it was noticed. This is why Boaz, when he was speaking to Ruth, said, yes, I know Boaz, replied, but I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May Yahuwah, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. And so in the words of Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, Boaz says, I know what you have done. What you have done is an expression of your faith. You made Yahuwah your refuge. And because of this, even though Ruth was a Moabitess, 
even though she was supposed to be excluded from the people of Yahuwah because of her faith, Yahuwah took favor and blessed her in so many ways. This is why if you have the opportunity, go back to our study concerning Ruth and what was this blessing imparted to Ruth in Ruth 4.13. So Boaz uh, took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went to her and Yahuwah enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son and Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son and they named him Obed, who was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Isn't that amazing? This is why because of the faith of Ruth, just like the faith of Rahab, even though they were Gentiles, subject to judgment, subject to exclusion, yet because of their faith, they were even added to the genealogy of our king, Yahusha. And so Ruth, a Moabite widow, excluded from the tabernacle by her faith, received the favor of Abba. Let's now look at the story of Bathsheba. How many here are familiar with the story of Bathsheba? Who was she? And how did she end up being a part of this, uh, the genealogy of our king? Well, let's go to 2 Samuel 11, 2-3. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. And so when David got out of bed and he was walking on the roof of the palace, I guess he was overlooking the city, and he notices a very beautiful woman. And so she, he asks, well, who is she? What's her name? So he finds out that she is Bathsheba, who is the daughter of Eliam, who was the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. And so when David discovers this, what does he do? Well, in the book of 2 Samuel 11, 4 to 5, then David sent messengers to get her. You know, the Hebrew word forget is to take. Remember that movie, Taken? Was the starring actor for Taken? Yeah, Liam Neeson. Remember, they, they took the kid or they took, they took someone. I don't know who it was. But this is the same word. David sent messengers to get her, to take her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. I believe this was kind of forced adultery. So Bathsheba was forced into adultery because he slept with her. Can you imagine the king? The king of Israel taking someone who doesn't belong to him and sleeps with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. I'm going to one night stand. Look at the problem it brings. She's pregnant. And so when David finds out she's pregnant, what does she do? Well, she, he has to do something about it. What does he decide to do? So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to, to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest. Then pull back, pull back, so that he will be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. And so what did David do? because there was a problem in his hands, 
uh, Bathsheba, whom he slept with, is now pregnant. And there's going to be a scandal because this is adultery. And so what did he decide to do to cover his sins? He decided to send Uriah into the front lines and then instruct the Israelites to leave him by himself so that he would be killed by the enemies. And this, in fact, is what happened. And so Uriah is killed along with other Israelite soldiers. And so when we look at what David did, adultery, kill, I mean, basically he had these people killed, not just Uriah, but the other Israelite soldiers. And so they were killed because of his sins, right? And so we can see again, the brokenness of humanity, how we are so prone to commit sin, right? But eventually, you know, when David is confronted by Nathan, the prophet, he, he confesses. That's a good thing about David. When he realizes his sin, he doesn't make excuses for his sins. He repents. He repents and returns to Yahuwah. And so 2 Samuel 12, 13 and 14, and David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against Yahuwah. Nathan replied, yes, but Yahuwah has forgiven you and you won't die for the sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for Yahuwah by doing this, your child will die. And so because of the sins of David, although his sins were forgiven, consequences remain. Always remember, when we commit sin against Yahuwah and we ask for forgiveness and it is from a repentant heart, will Yahuwah forgive us? Absolutely. But there are times when the consequences of our sins will remain, will linger and affect us for as long as it may. Keep that in mind because every sin that we commit, it has consequences, right? Sometimes the sins beget great consequences, sometimes not too great, but the consequences, you can't really forgive the consequences. It's gonna remain. Your sins can be forgiven, but the consequences will haunt you. This is why we need to always be mindful of our sins. Do not commit sin. And if we find ourselves guilty of sin, we need to repent and return to Yahuwah. Because of the sins of David, what has Yahuwah decided to do? The child in the womb of Bathsheba is going to die. And when this happened, you can imagine Bathsheba, who I believe is innocent in all this, because she was snatched, taken away. And Bathsheba loses her husband. And now Bathsheba loses her child. Can you imagine the suffering that sin brings in the lives of people today? And we can relate because the same thing happens today. There's so much suffering brought about by sin. What does David do? Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and slept with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. They named him Solomon. Yahuwah loved the child and sent word through Nathan, the prophet, that they should name him Jedidiah, which means beloved of Yahuwah, as Yahuwah had commanded. And so when Solomon comforted Bathsheba, because Bathsheba is going through a lot, this is a lot for her to take, losing your husband, losing your baby, that's a lot to take, especially if you're a woman, right? He's very vulnerable. And so he, she comforts her, they sleep, and they have a son. They named the son Solomon, this Solomon Yahuwah loved. So, so much so, Yahuwah made a, gave a name to Solomon. What's that name? Jedidiah. But for some reason, that name is not, not too many people know about that name. People know him as 
Solomon, which is unfortunate. Yahuwah chose a name for him, Jedidiah. But it was not adopted fully by Solomon or by David and the mother. Nevertheless, Bathsheba was included in the genealogy. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. So, so far we have four, right? And so far when we look at the four, you have Tamar who schemed, who pretended to be a prostitute. We have Rahab who was Canaanite, who was a prostitute. We had Ruth who was a Moabite widow, excluded from the tabernacle. We have Bathsheba forced into adultery, lost husband, lost baby. And so what we find here is a lot, of, a lot of sin and suffering. You see that? A lot of sin and suffering in Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba. Sin and suffering, they go together. But notice the last. Do you know who the last woman is in the genealogy of, of our King Yahushua? Who is the last? Who do you think it is? Let's read Matthew 1, verse 16. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Yahushua, who was called the Messiah. And so the Bible tells us the mother of our King Yahushua was a special set-apart person. This is why she was chosen. How special was Mary, the mother of Yahushua? Luke 1, 34, 38, Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. How special was Mary? She was a virgin, obedient to the commandments of Yahuwah. And look at her statement of faith. She said, after the angel gave her a message, she said, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. That is an expression of trust. Whatever Yahuwah wills, amen. Isn't this what Yahusha himself also prayed in Gethsemane when he knew he was going to be forsaken because he was to become sin for man? And so he said, if possible, may this cup of suffering pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. That attitude of our King Yahusha, that was also the attitude of Mary, because if she was to get pregnant, even though she's a virgin, because she was only betrothed to Joseph, they were not yet, their marriage wasn't consummated yet, this would bring a lot of persecution to her. She knows that. This would ruin her life. But Mary said, whatever, whatever Yahuwah wants, so be it. The beauty of the character and the person of Mary, the mother of our King Yahushua, something to behold, brethren. Whatever the will of Yahuwah may be, may it be so. It is but right and fitting that the last woman in the genealogy of our King Yahushua is one who would be a virgin and would trust in the work and word of Yahuwah. 
you notice how co the contrast in Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba involving sexual sin, adultery, prostitution. Mary was a virgin who had faith and trusted in Yahuwah. And so when you look at the women in the genealogy of our King Yahusha, what we find is a history, right? In the midst, we have hope in the midst of human brokenness by the grace of Yahuwah because of his love and kindness. The word kindness is chesed. So basically what we find in the lives of Tamar, Rahab, ba uh, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary is that even though there's a lot of suffering because of our human brokenness, because of the chesed, chesed, the kindness of Yahuwah, there is hope. And that hope is our salvation. And that hope is because of grace, not because we deserve it. Tamar, Ruth, Rahab, all of, none of us deserve anything from Yahuwah. It's by His grace. And this is what He gave to His people. Okay? So that's what we learn from the stories in the genealogy of our King, Yahusha. Number two, is it true that Yahusha first confessed that He is the Messiah to an adulterous Samaritan woman and not to the apostles? It would appear so. Because when we look at the ministry of our King Yahushua, remember when he was baptized, right? Before he was baptized, he went to the wilderness. He was tested by the devil. Then he was baptized by John the Baptist. And he began his ministry when he was 30. And one of the first things he decided to do was to go to Galilee. But on the way to Galilee, he decides to stop by a place hated by the people of Israel. Which is that place? Samaria, John 4, 5 to 7. In Samaria, he came to a town named Sychar, which was not far from the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Yahusha, tired out by the trip, sat down by the well. And so Yahusha decides to stop by a town in Samaria. And he is there by the well. And while he was there, someone approaches. Who's that? Seven, a Samaritan woman came to draw some water and Yahusha said to her, give me a drink of water. So we have Yahusha, who is Hebrew, and we have a woman who is a Samaritan. And the Samaritan woman is asked by Yahusha, give me a drink of water. And what was the reply of the Samaritan woman? Uh, four nine. The woman was surprised. Why was she surprised? For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Yahusha, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan who also is a woman. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? So this confuses her because there's this feud, long lasting feud between the Jews and the Samaritans. They did not like each other. And so here's Yahusha. And all of this is happening on purpose. Yahusha sets this all up, by the way, right? He knows all this is gonna happen because he's going to give a message. He's going to show something to his disciples. And so when the Samaritan woman asks our King Yahusha, why are you asking me for a drink? I'm a Samaritan woman and you are a Jew. Yahusha replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Yahushua replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I will give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh 
bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. And so Yahushua, when the woman asked, why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan woman, you're a Hebrew. And the woman, Yahushua replies, if you only knew the gift, the gift that Yahuwah God is planning to give you. And that gift, is, of course, is the Holy Spirit. If you only knew the one you're speaking with, and that person, of course, is the Son of God, the Messiah, Yahushua, then you would ask for living water, the Holy Spirit. And so she asks, I'll never, she tells, I'll never be thirsty again. I want that water. But what does Yahushua say to her before he can give her that water? Because Yahushua, we know, because Yahuwah is in him, there are things he knows that nobody else can possibly know, right? Because he has his inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he has a gift of knowledge. And so what does Yahushua confront this Samaritan woman about? Let's read verse 16. Go and call your husband, Yahushua told her, and come back. I don't have a husband, she answered. Yahushua replied, you are right when you say you don't have a husband. You have been married to five men. And the man you live with now is not really your husband. You have told me the truth. And so here's Yahushua. He confronts Samaritan woman. And the way he confronts the Samaritan woman is so filled with gentleness, right? He goes, go and call your husband. Because Yahushua knows about the kind of life the Samaritan woman is living. It's an adulterous kind of life. Five men, married to five men. And Yahushua says, the man you live with now is not really your husband, right? And you can see the brokenness in this Samaritan woman. She's living a life of sin. She really does not see any hope. This is why she was surprised this Hebrew man is even talking to her. Because when you live in sin, sometimes you no longer believe that you deserve to be helped. It's what sin does. It makes you believe, you know, you deserve whatever's going to happen to you. You don't deserve anything from Yahuwah. And so this woman, when she was confronted, and Yahusha knows about her past, yet he is so gentle with her. And so what does the woman reply? Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship? This is where the division, the feud between the Samaritans and the, the Hebrews come from. It's the way they believe uh, the uh, people of uh, Samaria, the Samar Samaritans, they believed strictly in the Old Testament, the first five books of Moses, and that's it. They did not really believe in the work of the prophets. And so they believe the worship should be there in Mount Gerizim, not in Jerusalem. And so there's this divide. And Yahushua replies, Yahushua replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming that it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. 
And so Yahusha, in answering the question of the Samaritan woman, he is telling her about a new age. What is that? When it's no longer necessary to be in a certain location to worship. It's no longer needed for a person to be in the temple in Jerusalem to worship. You can be anywhere. By faith, you can be anywhere and worship because worship will be in spirit and in truth. And when this was disclosed, the plan of Yahuwah, this is, this is the gospel, part of the gospel message. And when this plan is being given to the Samaritan woman, what did she say? The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Yahusha told her, I am the Messiah. And so this Samaritan who is in, living in adultery, for some reason, by grace, Yahusha decides to divulge, to tell her what she has not yet told his disciples. I am the Messiah. Can you imagine that? Yahushua decides to reveal who he is to a Samaritan, a non-Hebrew, a woman who is in adultery. And so when the woman discovers this, what does she decide to do? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah. So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Many of the Samaritans in that town believed in Yahusha because the, because the woman had said, he told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they begged him to stay with them and Yahusha stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his message. And they told the woman, we believe now, not because of what you said, but because we ourselves have heard him and we know that he really is the savior of world and so these people hated by the jews the samaritans they're one of the first ones to receive the gospel that yahushua is the messiah that he is a savior of the world you know brethren sometimes we have this thinking and we try to place yahuwah in a box we try to place yahushua in a box and so we kind of say to ourselves yahuwah yahushua they will only do things a certain way and so we begin to think when Yahushua does things that perplex us, we, th we say to ourselves, this cannot be the work of Yahuwah. Brethren, Yahuwah and Yahushua, they can do whatever they want. Yahushua has chosen the Samaritan woman despite who she was, despite the fact she was Samaritan, despite the fact she was in adultery. And we know she renewed her life. She gave her life to our King Yahushua and she brought many people to Yahushua for their salvation. And so, yeah, it's true. Samaritan woman re was, re was revealed. It was to her that Yahushua revealed that she was the Messiah. And the second question is, and first appeared to Mary Magdalene when he arose from the dead. Yes, in Mark 16, 9 to 11. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first, not to the apostles, but to Mary Magdalene out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had be, been with him as they mourned and wept, and they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her. They did not believe. 
And so here's another troubled woman, Mary Magdalene. Perhaps she was also in adultery, but we know she was living a life of suffering because seven demons were in her. When you have demons in you, you're not going to be happy. It means you're in suffering. And so when we look at the people, the women that was involved in the ministry, the genealogy of King Yahushua, right? Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, Mary, the Samaritan woman, all of them were not perfect, right? They were sinful. They were broken. They lived very sorrowful lives. But when Yahusha entered into their life, it did not matter how bad their life was. Yahusha changed them. Changed them. Brethren, look at our life now. None of us are perfect, are we? We're far from perfect. We're all broken. We're all broken. We're all prone to sin. But our King Yahushua knows everything about us, just like he knew everything about the Samaritan woman. But even then, loves us. And so what does this reveal to us about Yahuwah's work, about Yahushua's ministry in these last days? Let's read the book of Acts 2, 17. The last days, God says, I will pour my spirit on everyone. Your sons and daughters will speak what God has revealed. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour my spirit on my servants, on both men and women. They will speak what God has revealed. I will work miracles in the sky and give signs on the earth, blood, fire, and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will become as red as blood before the terrifying day of Yahuwah comes. Then whoever calls on the name of Yahuwah will be saved. Brethren, you cannot put Yahuwah's work in a box. Yahuwah does everything in a mysterious way, in a way that we cannot compute. His ways are higher than our ways. His wisdom we cannot possibly comprehend. But what we know is this. In the last days, he will pour out his spirit. And when he does so, he will choose people that we have no idea about. We should not think that we're the only ones that Yahuwah has elected. There are many others throughout the world in the book of Isaiah, it mentions that Yahuwah will reach out his hand a second time. And from different places throughout the world, he will bring his people together. Let us let Yahuwah do his work. Whoever he gives his spirit to, both men and women, they will begin to acknowledge Yahushua. He is the central thought. He is the central part. Those who belong to Yahushua, Yahuwah is bringing together. And the reason why he brings everyone together into Yahushua is because he is the answer. He is the solution to human brokenness. The genealogy of our king tells us human brokenness was alive and strong back then, just as it is today. There's human brokenness and sin and shame all over the world today. But there is hope. And the reason why there is hope in the midst of human brokenness is because of the grace of Yahuwah. And that grace of Yahuwah is based upon his love and his chesed. 
His kindness for each and every one of us. This is why he brings us to Yahusha. That's the purpose of the genealogy. It's to lead all of us, all of us, regardless of our past, to and in union with our King Yahusha. And if this happens to us, we have hope. We have hope. What is our hope? Let's read the final passage of our studies today. Most assuredly, I say to you, the one speaking here is our King Yahusha. I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, listen, please. This is our King's message to each one of us who is going through suffering right now, who is going through brokenness right now. Our King says, therefore, you now have sorrow. But I will see you again. And your heart will rejoice. And your joy, no one will take from you. Brethren, there is sin in the world. There's brokenness in the world. There's sorrow in the world. But those who belong to Yahushua, we who belong to our almighty father, Yahuwah, we have hope. That is when Yahushua returns. Even if now we have deep sorrow, Yahushua says, I will see you again. And when I will see you again, your heart will rejoice. And you will have joy no one can take away. Truth is, even now, when we feel the presence of Yahushua in our life by his spirit, we can feel that joy, that joy and peace that transcends all understanding. This is what we want all of you to feel. Yahushua is in heaven, but he can be in us, in our heart, if we will let him. Let him, let him in your heart. Let him change your life the way he changed the lives of countless people he interacted with when he was here on earth, performing his ministry. Just because he's no longer here on earth does not mean he has stopped performing his ministry. He continues to work out his ministry. Let us include ourselves among the people that he ministers to because he loves us and he wants to change radically our life. If you are suffering, if you have sadness, if you're broken, go to our king and let him restore and rebuild us to become better than we were before. Let us stand, brethren, and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father, behold your sons and daughters. Thank you so much for your message of hope. We needed to hear that. We often thought that your people in the past were perfect, that they were without sin, but we see the brokenness of humanity across the timeline of the history of your people. You did not give up on humanity, despite what we are capable of doing. You always do something to remedy our situation. Often we fall short. Sometimes when we look at our life, realize the brokenness that sin has brought into it when we realize our shame and deep sorrow sometimes just like the Samaritan woman 
We ask ourselves, why would you even bother to talk to us, to think of us? We know the answer. It is by your grace. Grace because of your love, your compassion, and your kindness. You are Yapua. That is what you do. For this, we are infinitely thankful. Thank you, Abba, for you have given us your son. Thank you, loving Father, for including us in this great work of salvation. Our King, Yahushua, we bring our life into your hands. We fix our minds upon you. We believe in you. We have faith in you. We love you so much. May you change us. May you help us to overcome the flesh. Teach us to live by your spirit. May you dwell in our home, in our hearts, everywhere we go, guide us, please. May you heal us of our sicknesses, wherever we may be. You have authority over heaven and earth, and even if you are from heaven, you remain the greatest physician. Please heal your servants and strengthen us all the more. Father, thank you, for we believe at this moment in this prayer from all over the world, you are looking at the tears of your people. You are looking at the contents of our hearts. You are listening to our signs and groans. You are listening to our cries. Father, thank you for your comforting presence and your fellowship in us. We will worship you forever, no matter what happens. We ask and beg everything loving Abba in the name of our Lord and Savior. Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen.